At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. College campuses have always been places full of disagreement and debate. But recently, the battles happening at universities have reached a new pitch. In December, Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik grilled college presidents at a hearing about the war in Israel and Gaza. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Soon after, Harvard President Claudine Gay was accused of plagiarism. Ultimately, she was forced to resign. Gay was the first Black woman to lead Harvard and was only there for six months, right-wing activists took a victory lap over her departure. Gay, in a New York Times op-ed, warned that her exit was, quote, merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in pillars of American society. Is that true? My guest today is Nancy McLean, a history professor at Duke University who studies social movements. Her latest book, Democracy in Chains, explains a politically motivated plan to overhaul higher education. Nancy, welcome to Say More. It's a great pleasure to be with you, Shirley. So when you saw the campaign forming against Claudine Gay at Harvard, what was going through your mind? Yeah, what was going through my stomach was almost as important as what was going through my mind. Uh, I could just see that it had all the hallmarks of a political hit job of a kind that I was very familiar with, having studied the right for a number of years. The entire right-wing media um, and political ecosystem lighting up, using the same language and terminology, whipping up outrage, um, you know, that outrage breaking into the mainstream media uh, and seeing political provocateurs boasting about what they had done. I thought, oh, no, this is going to be ugly. And two of those, act I mean, there's some of the activists uh, who were involved. I mean, they, they weren't, they had nothing to do with Harvard. Um, they're outsiders. I, I think two of them were Chris Rufo and Philip Magnus. Who are they? 
Yeah, these are uh, actors, uh, very, very committed actors on the political right. Um, Mr. Magnus has gone after me personally. He's gone after uh, Kevin Cruz at Princeton. He's gone after multiple people with really, really spurious uh, accusations. And um, the more skilled operative, I think, is Christopher Rufo. And I was already familiar with him when he came into the news um, about uh, the attacks on uh, President Gay at Harvard. I was familiar familiar with him because he is the person who uh, started the attack on what he called critical race theory a few years ago that became a big part of Governor DeSantis's program. We saw legislation, you know, hundreds of pieces of legislation, gag orders, you know, book bannings and such resulting from this. So when I saw that those two were involved, I said, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be bad. And I already knew from uh, Rufo's role in the critical race theory um, craziness that he had the ear of Tucker Carlson and that, you know, in short order, there were thousands in, you know, 2021, there were thousands, literally thousands of mentions of critical race theory on the Fox uh, channel and its, its program. So I knew that we were in for a storm. But now Gay really, I mean, she truly bungled her congressional testimony, right, about how she would handle a call for the genocide of Jews. I mean, and and even some Harvard students, faculty and alumni, I mean, they wanted her gone, too. So it's not just the right wing that was calling for her resignation. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in any situation, there'll, there'll be some, you know, extenuating circumstance that makes it seem reasonable. But I will say, first of all, uh, Elise Stefanik, you know, is a diehard Trump supporter now. So she's not particularly interested in the factual universe, right, or making a better Harvard. This was really a kind of gotcha operation. And I have to say, when I saw, as a woman, you know, who has made my way in higher education, when I saw those three female presidents lined up, I thought, oh, this is going to be ugly. And then, right. you know, and after they were fired, Elise Stefanik um, tweeted two down, right? So they want to take more heads down. And right. Christopher Rufo tweeted scalped. I'm not even going to stop and analyze what that's about, but I can tell you that someone who would use the word scalped in triumph is not someone who has the best interests of Harvard or higher education in mind. Now, I don't think Gay's congressional testimony, I don't think her congressional testimony did her in. I think it was the plagiarism, mm -hmm. which you, we haven't talked about yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, again, Chris Rufo uh, helped expose um, uh, multiple instances of plagiarism. Forget about how you feel about Rufo and his mm -hmm. uh, motives. But I mean, a lot of people were saying she plagiarized mm -hmm. and you know, Harvard students who made the same mistake she did, they got punished for it. So mm -hmm. so shouldn't she be punished too? I would never defend plagiarism. And when I see it, you know, in peers or students or anybody else, I will call it out. I worked very hard not to do it myself. Um, but, but my point, I guess, is that what we're seeing, character assassination, right? You know, somebody who has a whole body of work and, a, you know, a lifetime of, you know, uh, hard work and achievement and recognition by peers um, for the, the quality of their work suddenly has their reputation eviscerated, you know, within a few day period. And that 
is the kind of thinking and strategy that we're dealing with. And so I believe that we have to be very deliberate because there's so much big money involved. We have to really track, you know, who is funding these actors, who is funding these operations and and ask the questions. What are their interests? What, what would they gain by by succeeding here? I worry because it's such a volatile situation, right? I mean, we have people at each other's throats in this country right now, and I just think that we all have to calm down, you know, follow the facts, don't fall for these um, these campaigns. I mean, when you see all the right and Fox News, you know, speaking, you know, the same words, you know, constantly recycling things, creating these dust-ups, we have to stop and say, what's going on here? Given what you've just explained, should Claudine Gay still be president of Harvard? You know, I have the deepest respect for you, Shirley, and I've read your um, your um, uh, columns and I've listened to your podcast and I think you're great. But I think that's also the kind of question that Christopher Rufo would like us to ask. And so my approach would be um, I believe in the rule of law. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in fairness. Um, and I believe in due process. And I think anyone who is accused of a serious offense, whether it is a criminal offense by an ordinary you know, person in our society or whether it is a scholarly, um, an alleged scholarly offense like this, I think that there should be a scholarly investigation. People deserve due process. Um, and I want to see evidence. I want to see facts. I want to see testimony. Um, but I don't want to act in a precipitous manner, particularly when I know that there are malign actors who want us to act in a precipitous manner. Yeah, I, I think I would have liked to see due process. I would like to see more transparency because certainly in, you know, if, if this were not under the microscope of, uh, you know, the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, it, there would have been a process of more, uh, an open process or, or at least more explana- explanation. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, of, you know, why she went from keeping her job <laughs> in mid-December and then two weeks later losing it. Um, and Harvard, corporation, the the board said that we did do a review of her uh, work um, and and we cleared her. But then it turns out they didn't look at her dissertation. And that's what Rufo um, and his group looked at. And they found more issues with her plagiarism. So could, could I add one thing, though, there, too? I think this is important, Shirley, because another thing that uh, Christopher Rufo and his accomplices have said, they said that this has nothing to do with race. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it, they I mean, they certainly went out after, you know, Liz McGill at Penn. But that language of scalped and the the, the venom around the Harvard case uh, made me wonder. And so actually the very first night that those plagiarism uh, charges appear, I went on X, formerly Twitter, and I just typed in Harvard because I wanted to see what the Twitter conversation was. I have to tell you, it was the most stomach-churning racist filth I've encountered in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that they're succeeding at destabilizing or, or changing universities? in a meaningful way? I think that we are at the beginning, (laughs) um, near the beginning, uh, maybe in the first or second inning of of something that is really going to surge from here on in. And they've indicated that in their own language. Um, You know, Rufo was thrilled at the velocity with which the campaign against Claudine Gay went through. You know, and he said, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but he said, you know, it took me a long time to make 
CRT, critical race theory, <laughs> you know, essentially the, the, the catch-all boogeyman, he made it. Um, but this went through, you know, in a matter of weeks. So I think that they are going to be very, very hungry for new victories. I think they will take all the leash they are given. Um, and I think it's a kind of hold on to your hats and buckle your seatbelts <laughs> situation because there will be other people coming under attack, you know, and other people being human, there will probably be some flaw that can be pointed to. Um, but but the real mission of all of this is to disrupt and repurpose our institutions that, that keep our society functional. More of my conversation with Nancy McLean after this short break. Across New England, commercial businesses of all sizes rely on Eastern Bank. We help clients grow by being able to answer their larger loan needs and by offering innovative solutions, smart decision-making, and one-on-one relationships. From franchise financing to community development and asset-based lending, our knowledgeable and experienced commercial team deeply understands your business and the communities you serve. See how we can help you meet your business goals at easternbank.com slash commercial. this is what it sounds like. Member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, your last book was about the Koch brothers as as being the big donors funding this this type of movement. I mean, are they the only ones? Are there more? No. Well, also, you know, people do say the Koch brothers, and of course, David Koch uh, died a few years ago, but Char- Charles Koch was always the main ideologue and the head of Koch Industries and so forth. So he's been the main one uh, and the main funder of libertarian causes since the 1970s. But it's not just, tar- you know, Charles Koch. It's also now, you know, there's a whole bevy of Christian nationalist donors. You know, there's the Bradley Foundation. There's, you know, the Mercers, you know. So there, so there are many of these very, very wealthy um, uh, donors who have deep interest in transforming our society. And and what do you make about billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman? I mean, he's a Harvard alum. He's been very vocal about wanting Claudine Gay to resign. He's an interesting character because he's not right wing. He's given a lot of money to left leaning causes over the years. I mean, do you think this particular debate has created strange bedfellows, maybe new alliances? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and um, I think it's a, a good hypothesis. I do think um, you're right that that issue can create strange belt fellows, although it's also interesting that um, Ackman has said since, um, you know, all this happened that he's now determined that the real cause was diversity, equity, and inclusion, <laughs> um, and so he plans to go after that. So I don't know if that's a pre-existing you know, hostility and target on his part, or if he came to it through this, I, I don't have the information, you know, to draw a conclusion on that. But um, but that does that does seem to be a piece of the picture as well. 
I mean, Chris Rufo, after, you know, Claudine Gay resigned, I mean, he gave an interview with Politico and he explained his goal is to eliminate the DEI, quote, the DEI bureaucracy in every institution in America. I mean, why is why is DEI a, a target for Rufo? So in this earlier book, Freedom is Not Enough, um, I tracked responses to the push for equal employment um, from African-Americans in particular in the beginning, but also then women and Mexican-Americans. And I learned in my research that the conservative movement and the libertarian, uh, you know, they were then distinct, the conservative movement and the libertarian movement, but they always fought any attempts to promote equal employment from the Fair Employment Practices Committee of World War II to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to affirmative action you know, in the 1970s, and now DEI. And to me, the irony of that, as somebody who studied that long, you know, essentially 50 years of history over time, is that diversity, equity, and inclusion are so milk toast. You know? <laughs> like most of us in higher education, like I don't really think, you know, like the, the affirmations of, oh, we're, you know, diversity supporting us, it doesn't really mean there's not much there there, right? Um, and yet even that is being you know, we're being told that that can't stand. Okay, so, I mean, I've heard both sides of this issue. I mean, I've also heard other academics say DEI is... is doesn't um, it doesn't take over the campus. It's, it's mm-hmm. not a big deal. But then I hear other, uh, you know, students and faculty who say DI, the bureaucracy, it's 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 broken. And that, uh, you know, whether you agree with Rufo's strategy or not, it seems to have jumpstarted a conversation about, um, you know, how DI it's not being implemented well and and how can we improve it i mean i mean would you agree to that 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 something has to be that there is something perhaps broken or can be fixed or improved about dei policies on campus uh, well, there's no question with any institution that we should always, you know, be looking at them and evaluating and seeing if they're doing what they they should be doing and if they're doing it well. Um, but again, you know, this is not this is not the disinterested counsel of someone who's trying to help, right? One of the first things that this new administration, Rufo, was part of at uh, New College of Florida is they just completely. Ab- abolished their DEI program. They didn't look at it. They didn't research it, you know, because that that's not what they're interested in. And here again, I think we have to go back to the ideas behind this. And the truth is, and trust me, I have read things so no one else has to over years and years from conservatives and libertarians on these questions of discrimination. They really do not believe that there is a significant problem of discrimination in America. And they absolutely oppose any government, you know, um, mechanism to try to ensure equal employment. You know, there's a deep history to all of this and a deep culture to it. And um, if we start going after efforts based on attacks by interested parties who have no interest in equal employment, you know, in this instance, um, we're going to be in trouble. So what's the end game for the right as it relates to American higher education? Oh, 
I think that there is an end game. And actually, I have a chapter on that in um, in Democracy in Chains. It's called Chapter Seven. I think it's Chapter Seven: A World Gone Mad. But bottom line, you know, quick quick um, uh, thumbnail sketch: public higher education. They would like to see become much more a kind of vocational training institute. You know, and and people have you know in my state of North Carolina, <laughs> this is underway with the attacks on public higher education. You know, uh, DeSantis is doing it in Florida. So in the states behind what I think of as the red curtain now, um, this is going through. Um, and then for the private institutions, they are seeking much more donor funding and control. There is a really big story here that I think is much bigger than any DEI, you know, mess ups in institutions of higher education. So, so what are you looking for next? I mean, what's the next shoe to drop uh, in higher education? I mean, you know, there's going to be more congressional hearings. Um, you know, we'll see more presidents stepping down. Uh, yeah, I think that they, I mean, you know, I don't know, I'm a historian, you know, we analyze the past, but sometimes if you understand the patterns of the past, you know, you do have some predictive capacity. You can't say where or who or, you know, how how it's all going to play out. But I think the fact that um, actors and political entrepreneurs like Christopher Rufo and Elise Stefanik are so excited by the rapidity of the, and the completeness of their success in driving out um, President Gay uh, from her position at Harvard, that they will now be, you know, hungry for more victories. So, you know, I don't know which institutions will find themselves in the crosshairs, but I do believe that that will happen. And I do believe that we will see more of, again, this kind of politics of ambush aimed at individuals or programs. So I think that we can expect attacks on university leaders, I think particularly um, leaders of color and women, um, because that's exciting to the base, as I said from my reading of that that Twitter response to the attacks on Claudine Gay. I think we can expect that. I think we can expect them to go after um, uh, any kind of ethnic studies, African-American studies, women and gender studies, which, you know, they've already done in many places. Um, but I, I, yeah, you can't say with exactitude what it will be because, you know, it's kind of happenstance what comes up in the news or where they see an opportunity. But that there will be such attacks, I think we can guarantee. And that's why I think it's so important to be prepared and have the toolkit that says pause, take a deep breath. <laughs> Research the bios, follow the money, you know, who's funding these things. And, and you know, that old question, qui bono, who stands to benefit from this, right? The Latin question, who benefits? And when we understand that, then I think that we can do a more comprehensive reporting job um, and protect vital institutions that we need for our society to thrive. Well, Nancy, it's great to get your perspective on this topic. Thanks for being on Say More. Nancy McLean is a history professor at Duke University. Her book is called Democracy in Chains, The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth Plan for America. Great to be with you. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer with help from Scott Hellman. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Uzair Ahmed. Our music is from APM Music. If you like the show, Please follow us and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at saymore at globe.com. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening.